got Pastor Craig Smee. Oh man, sorry. Craig Smee in the house. So, Pastor, would you come on up? Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I hope that this was recorded and that you got some of the standing ovation so I can play it back at the location in Boswell and they can also <laughs> follow suit. I appreciate that. It's so good to be in the house. It's, uh, it's been uh, a long time, almost a year, almost two years um, since I was here last. And uh, just to see the faces and to see you guys is just awesome. And uh, I hope that you're going to bear with me because not only am I addressing you guys tonight. It's my blessing to be able to be uh, looking at the camera and say, hey, online, it's good to see you on a stage and not at a coffee shop or at my house or wherever we normally do church from. So it's awesome to be able to join the world together. So I know that you have been in a sermon series around revival. How good was that? Listen to it. Some good stuff there. I also know that you guys were going through a sermon series entitled Your Move. Right. Also, some great preaching. Listen to that. That was fantastic. But online, we've been going through a sermon series entitled Consequences. And uh, we've been looking at the fact, according to Romans, that the consequences of sin is death, but the consequences of Jesus is life. And, um, and so what I've tried to do, you're going to have to bear with me, because I've tried to marry a sermon on revival, on your move, and on consequences all in one. How does that sound? So I'm going to try and get this done tonight, and we'll see how it goes. Amen? So if you are in the room and you've got your Bible apps or your Victory Life Church apps open, if I can preach off an app, you can follow along in an app. Uh, amen? Amen? Take out your apps. No, that means you reach into your pocket and take out your phones. And uh, open up your apps because you'll be able to follow along in the notes. If I go pear-shaped and go off in a different direction, well, then at least you can still have some degree of sanity to the evening by following along in the notes. Amen? Amen. Alrighty. I'm going to make a statement and I want to kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to work with that statement and see if you agree with that statement. The statement is this. Revival is the unbridled expression of my relationship with God. Revival is the unbridled expression of my relationship with God. If I want revival in my life, I have to get to a place with my relationship with God that I can express that in an unbridled, unhindered way. When a group of people come together and start expressing in an unbridled, unhindered kind of way their relationship with God, well then look at what happens. Revival breaks out. Revival can happen in my life if I express hey, my relationship with God individually, but it can happen in my city when I express it with a bunch of people. Amen? So I got to thinking, if revival breaks out when I have an unhindered, unfiltered, unbridled expression of my relationship with God, what is God's unbridled expression of His relationship with us? Because you see, in heaven, revival's already broken out, and I'm so glad I got to think about it. You see, I told you I would get to think about it from Pastor Chet when I was here online. I got one. Thumbs up. You can get all the little likes and little hearts and all that kind of stuff. I've got, to, I've got to think about it from Pastor Chet. But if God has an, a, a revival already breaking out in heaven, if, if that's already happened, He's got an unbridled expression of His relationship with us. 
relationships not one-sided, so surely if we're going to have an unbridled expression of our relationship with God, He's going to have an unbridled expression of His relationship with us. And I got to thinking that that must be His life-giving promises that He makes to us. Jesus is the life-giving promise, so if Jesus was the full revelation of God to man, well then surely Jesus being the epitome of His life-giving promises to us, God's life-giving promises are in fact his unbridled expression of relationship with us. So then I got to thinking some more. And if you're following along in the app, you are ahead of me in my thinking because you're already reading the next phrase, right? (laughs) Here's the deal. How is it that I can create an environment or what do I need to do? What is my next move in making sure that I have the highest possible expression of my relationship with God? Because I want revival. So what do I need to do? Well, I realize that if my unbridled expression of my relationship with God meets his unbridled expression of his relationship with me around a promise, that the best way for me to see revival is through obedience to his promises. Amen? Are you with me? Now, you might be thinking, I know about obedience to the law, and I fully get obedience to the traffic signs or the speed limits. And for those of you who ever come and visit us in Boswell, you'll have to drive through a small town called Bachido. And trust me, you will be very aware of the speed limit as you drive through Bachido. We've even got a song in Boswell, and I'm not about to sing it. I'm tempted, but I'm not going to. <laughs> but the fact is, is that God works in promises. We think he works in a whole bunch of commands that we have to do, but everything he's ever told us relates back to a promise. The moment mankind found themselves in a bit of a quandary of whether or not they needed to decide what God had offered them in a form of life, or whether they not had to make their own decision, tree of knowledge of good and evil, the minute they found themselves caught between a rock and a hard place, the very first thing that God came and gave them was a promise. In fact, while he was making them, he gave them a promise. While he was creating the earth, he gave it a promise. Everything that God works in, works in promises. Why? Because his word will never return unfulfilled. So when he speaks a promise, it might not be real, it might not be tangible yet, but it's as good as done in the revival built heaven. Because that is the way he speaks to his people. He is a God that we can believe in, trust in, and never worry about His promise becoming something that's broken. And that's why we as humans kind of want to see God's promise working out before we believe that God is a God who He says He is. How fickle. It kind of goes back to how Adam and Eve operated. Because they wanted to reason, they wanted to think through the decision of what was right and wrong, So they camped out at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God had promised them life, eternal life that they couldn't see yet, that they couldn't perceive yet. He had given them a whole lot of purpose, things to do, authority to walk out in through his promise. And he said, if you just stick to my promise, you will have life. But the moment you take on the mantle of trying to decide what is wrong and what is right for yourself, you're going to die inside. How many of you are wrestling with a big decision right now about what's wrong and what's right? You know what I'm talking about. 
When we get to wrestling what's wrong and what's right on our own space, and we start applying understanding to a situation, we get ourselves into a tight spot. Restless nights, not sleeping, ratty with the wife. Oh, no, that's normal behavior. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> it's just the way we are. We like to reason our way through life and not blindly, unbridled, express our obedience to a relationship that's going to bring us life. So we camp out at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, reasoning, what's right, what's wrong, what's right, what's wrong. Man, we sleep, we take tablets, we change our diet, we freak out, we kick the dog, all because we're camping out at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Whereas God is saying is if you can get to an unbridled expression of the promises that I've given you through obedience, man alive, it's good. It's so good you're even going to come up with a name for it. It's called revival. And so God asks us to say, you know what? Just get with my promises. Every single word, every single word, whether you are reading it through the eyes of an Italian in the Passion translation, or whether you're reading it through the eyes of a Frenchman, the Amplified translation. (laughs) It doesn't matter what word you're reading it in, Greek, Hebrew, it doesn't matter. Every single dot and tittle in the Bible is a promise. Is a promise. God was even specific about who would write it, when they would write it, how they would write it, when they would put a full stop at the end of a sentence so that we would get it. Because he wanted us to have an evidence of his unbridled desire to have a relationship with us through his promises that give us life. Am I making sense? Amen. All righty. Just clap for me. Clap. (laughs) Quick lesson. How we applaud online is slightly different. We take the lever on the side of our armchair and we flap our footrest. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about online. Anyway, the promises of God are his prophetic word. Have a look at at 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. The Passion Translation, the Italian version, puts it like this. Every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the what? The right direction. His word is the knowledge of tree of good and evil, not our tree, not our decision. When we go to his promise, it will give us the direction of what is good and right, not when we go out on our own understanding. How many of you know that in Scripture, faith gets bumped up the list of priorities way more than our own understanding? Faith is valued way more, not seeing the outcome of a promise, but believing in it anyway, Hebrews 11 verse 1, versus knowing and resting on our understanding and wrestling with Satan and fallen flesh and the doctor and depression and antidepressants and all the things around what's right and what's wrong. And so the scriptures say that every promise, every word is going to help you decide. You don't need to decide on your own. Just get into a place of unbridled relationship with the Father's promises and be obedient to them and watch goodness flow. And so he continues... It will give you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature, and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. Look at me. Look at me. He was talking about me. No? 
Have you ever had a, a holy moment with God that just seems to be prolonged? You get to exude Jesus Christ. Color-coordinated Christian bangle matches underlining in the Bible, matches the text on the back of your bumper sticker on your car. You know what I'm talking about. Not just one ribbon that makes a mark on your Bible. No, no, no. A ribbon that is on display for all to show that you not only read your Bible in a physical format, but it also demonstrates how many days streak you have in the YouVersion Bible app so that everybody can see how holy you are. Just by you deciding on your own behavior to exemplify holiness, you are camping at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Just by deciding what is good and evil for your person next to you, you have become religious and you are camping at the tree. Ouch. Ouch. You see, when we think about it, revival breaks out when people are obedient to the promises of God. Religion breaks out when people try and be obedient to the law of God. And rebellion breaks out when people try and decide for themselves what's right and what's wrong. And I want to I camp in the space of revival. I want to camp in the space not of religion, judgment, deciding whether or not if I sit on the left-hand side of the congregation or I sit on the right-hand side of the congregation, the Holy Spirit is more strong over here. I feel an anointing coming on. And we complicate things. We even try and regulate the unbridled promises of a most high God. How dumb can you be and still breathe? I want to try and regulate the God who breathes galaxies into being. I want to try and put him in a cubbyhole and say, look, I've got him trapped. I understand. Man, I know my Bible. You're camping out at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, deciding for yourself what is good and what is not. And all the time, there's a beautiful tree of life, of unbounding, endless desire and joy and peace and beauty that you haven't even begun to dream, hope, or imagine for yet if you would just sit at its base and understand the unbridled promises of God have been spoken for you to express them in an unbridled, obedient way and watch the life that He promises flow through you. Your next move... Pick up your picnic mat from the base of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and go and put it down underneath the tree of life. And so when we think about this tree, we think about understanding that even the world has made the tree of the knowledge of good and evil look good. Have you ever been through a botanical garden and they've got the long scientific name on the bottom of a tree? Yeah, tree. I'm good with tree. That does not spell tree. Right? Well, the world has put some very nice names on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's called being yourself. Being true to who you are. Free will. I don't want free will. I want God's will. 
I don't want to decide what's wrong and right. You know the pressures of deciding? If I'm caught in the quandary of deciding what gender I am, I don't want to work out on my own. I want to go to the maker and discuss it with him. If I'm working on the decisions as regards what is marriage and what is not, I don't want to sit under the tree with this crazy name called self-will. I want to go to God and say, God, what is your will? You know me. You've promised me something greater. What I can decide on is not going to last very long, but what you can decide on is life. So pick up your mat and walk to the tree of life. Start making decisions based on an unbridled expression of obedience, not an unbridled expression of self-will. Hey, if we wanted to think like that, we'd move to Colorado, right? I'm joking, I'm joking. And then we get to this whole place of even though we believe in Jesus, even though I believe that Jesus is life, we take the promises of Jesus and we take them over to our picnic mat at the, at the tree of knowledge of evil, good and evil. What do I mean? I've been giving for 35 years. It's about time that I have some financial breakthrough. In a study recently done in the United States, pastors of over 6,500 churches were interviewed as regards their giving, and all of them said that their giving increases by 45% and upwards when they put a cause in front of the congregation for them to decide whether or not they want to give. I've taken giving and the joy of the tree of life, and I've put it over here. Now, I don't give because it makes my God joyful. I give to a cause because it makes me understand my finances and my logic. We don't give to a cause. How many people, as a pastor, hey, hey pastors, you guys have got great pastors. I mean, I just love the fact that I can not only call Pastor Mark, and, and just, just he's a friend, he's a colleague, but man, he's a mentor. Pastor Mark, Thank you. You have spoken into my life recently just by being you. So thank you. But as a pastor, I, I honestly got this conversation. A guy walked up to me and said, I've been making some deposits into the church. I'm in need. I need to make a withdrawal. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, if you want to, you can withdraw all of these secondhand clothes and take them down to the clothes bank if you like. But we don't, or we get people coming to us kind of going, well, I've been doing this, I've been doing that, I've been going through the motions with this, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been serving, it's about time. And we take the promises of God and we put them at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What makes me feel good? What makes me feel better? What makes me feel more comfortable? We don't give to God because we're giving to a cause. We don't give to God because, hey, there's a good speaker on the stage. Offerings will be up tonight. I know, it's okay. <laughs> but we don't give to God because the worship's on key or off key. We give to God because of the promise that we are releasing through our obedience. Man, I'm preaching. And you're wondering, where are the sandwiches coming into this? <laughs> don't worry. If Pastor Jacob can use muffins... And Pastor Mark can use fajitas. I got dips on sandwiches. It's coming. And so we get to this place 
of even our faith is understanding and knowledge, not blind faith. Not, not know a kind of never rain, build an ark anyway kind of faith. Not have no cotton picking clue what an animal is, let alone what I'm going to name it kind of faith. That kind of faith. And so we get to reason and we get to have this contract process. How many Christians are in the house tonight that your next move is to move from your relationship with God from a transactional one to a relational one? I've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. I've even got 3,642 people on my Facebook page to all like my prayers. Surely God can hear me. Surely. I, 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 you know that I've been in counseling for 15 years and my marriage is no better than it was last time I went to... With that kind of attitude, you shouldn't have been married in the first place. It's your move. It's your move to know, expect, and obey blindly. The world will go, well, have you checked out everything? Do you know what you're getting? Does God even exist? You're putting all your trust in. You know what? I don't care. Because when I do a tree of knowledge of good and evil kind of way, it hasn't worked out too well for me anyway. Am I the only sinner in the house? But when I do it God's way, it seems to work out a little bit better. And so if God is this one big giant promise, He's just this one big globule of promise. Come on, think about it. Let there be light. Promise. And there was light. Let this happen. Boom, and it's that. God goes, he wakes up in the morning and goes, and another whole hourglass nebula is born. He sneezes twice, and the Milky Way looks puny. You with me? So God, God is working. He is a promise. He is always working. Hey, listen, I got this guy He's trying to phone me up here. He, he wants to come to the men's camp. He's just confirming that he can still come. Coming all the way from California to be at our men's camp. How cool is that? Are you going to the men's camp on Thursday? Yeah? I know why he's phoning, so I'll, I'll put him on hold and I'll answer him later. I have secured a very uncomfortable spring bed with no mattress for him. <laughs> so if God is, focus Craig, if God is one giant promise, if God is this globule of promise, then surely every interaction we have with him is promise. But then surely as a human being, we diss that promise because as soon as we as human beings hear the word promise, we shut down. Why? Because we don't keep them. And certainly other people haven't kept them to us. Oh, we'll point out the people that haven't kept them to us more than we point out the fact that we haven't kept them to others. But God is only working in promise. So when you interact with him and you're not working in promise, it doesn't work. How many of you watched Wipeout, the British TV show? It's the best TV show ever. Whole bunch of ordinary people running through these crazy, crazy obstacle courses. And they've got these big red balls. Yeah? 
and they're going to leap over these four red balls or they fall in the water. And every single one of them runs at them like they are going to be the hero that runs right across those four big red balls. But what they don't realize is that these balls are spongy and bouncy. So they don't accommodate for that as they interact with the balls. They get thrown into the water. Well, we're going to get thrown into confusion if we don't interact with God as a God of promise. If we're interacting with Him as a transaction, we're going to get thrown into the water. If we're interacting with Him as a candy machine, we're going to get thrown into the water. If we're interacting with Him as an accountant, we're going to get thrown into the water. He only operates in promise, so jump accordingly. Am I making sense? So this is how we do it. He's, Pastor Mark's already shared some of these scriptures with you. Psalm 139, we know that scripture. Um, we, we know the, the Hebrew scripture. We know in previous messages, Pastor Mark has shared that God knew you and had a purpose for you. Promise. Did you see that? Promise. He had a purpose, promise for you before you were even born. He knew me as a sinner. Jesus Christ loved me and saved me while I was still behaving in an ungodly manner. Jeremiah 1, I know you. You, you know what I'm talking about. You've been sitting through these messages, right? They've inspired you, right? Amen. Amen. So if God has already made his move in the prophetic, in the promises, our next move is to respond to him accordingly. And how do we respond accordingly? So now we get to the answer of obedient to promises. Because promise kind of has a... And obedience has a... Uh, It's kind of like, really? Do I, do I have to? You know why? You know why obedience has got such a negative connotation? It's because you've been camping out the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for way too long. Every single law that's ever been put in place in that tree has failed you. Every single promise that's ever been made to you at that tree has failed you. Every single regulation has failed you. So when you think about being obedient to something... You have no clue what it's like to be obedient to the big red ball. <laughs> Am I making sense? You're going to go home and go onto Netflix and Hulu and find Wipeout. <laughs> we are addicted to Wipeout. It's awesome. Anyway, I just love seeing people. F- no, never mind. So if we're going to live our life in relation to the promise, the tree of life, not our circumstances, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we then have to start interacting with God by being obedient to the promises. John chapter 17 and verse 3, and we're now starting to make a beeline towards the sandwich. Okay. John chapter 17 and verse 3 says this in the Passion Translation, the Italian version. Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God. And to know and experience Jesus Christ as a son whom you have sent. God and Jesus is a big red ball of promise. Therefore, this could be reading like this. Eternal life means to know and experience promises from the Father. Eternal life means to know and experience the promises of Jesus Christ. To know, we know this one. There's an intimacy involved. There's a knowledge involved. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29 describes that to know by using the word there, felt. The woman was uh, 
was she, she was bleeding and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment and she felt the healing. Yeah, she didn't have to run home and check if she was healed. She didn't have to go to her doctor and see if she was healed. Right there in the moment, the promise was true. She knew it was true and she felt it manifest right there. She was living with the big red ball. Am I, am I, am I right? And so when we have a look at that to know, God showed that he knew his love for you so much that his promise became a tangible manifestation, namely Jesus Christ. That's how promise manifests. It becomes so real, so intimate, so wound into who you are, so part of your being that there is no other way. There's no reason. There's no understanding. There's no earthly wisdom. There's no knowledge of good and evil. It's just God and his promise. <laughs> to know. To know. It becomes so real that it becomes a real experience. It becomes so real that even though you can't see it, it's still real. It becomes so real that even though you've been prayed for and the healing has been promised and your body aches and your muscles hurt and your organs are failing, you're still living in the promise, not the experience. You see, you've got to link your knowing of God's promises with the experience of God's promises to truly see miracles, to truly see revival, to truly see the imagination of your mind meeting the faith of your heart so that miracles can happen. It's in that moment where the mind convinces everything else to walk away from the tree of reason, the tree of human understanding, the tree of human wisdom, and go over to the tree of promised wisdom, promised understanding, and promised glory. That's your next move. Oh, but I'm waiting for God. I've, I've been thinking about joining a grow team now for 23 years. <laughs> and I just don't know. The door seems a bit formidable for me. And I don't think I've got it in me to do announcements. And I don't know. I don't like chewing gum before I pray. So the ministry team's out. <laughs> I've just been waiting on God. I've just been, I've just been expecting His promise. How long are you going to wait to realize that the promises were spoken long before you even knew what a grow team was? You don't need a function to express the promise. You don't need a position to walk out the blessing. You don't need a qualification to be qualified. You don't need to do good to get grace. You just have to go and camp out in the promises of God and realize that they are real and get them so wound into your psyche that you can't see anything else but the promises of God. Because that's what Satan wants. It's what he did to Adam and Eve. Did God really promise you this? Let's think about this. I don't want to think about it, Satan. I don't want to think about it. I want to be at the tree of life not thinking about it. And then no matter what I do is good. No matter what I do is glorious. No matter what I do is triumphant. No matter what I do is abundant. No matter what I do, everything I touch is blessed. And I haven't thought about it. I haven't taken one pull. I haven't had one sleepless night. I haven't worried about it at all. I've just camped out at the promises and believed them with everything I got. When people are calling me stupid, when people are calling me expressing, not expressing my own free will, I don't give a rip. I'm at the tree of life.
Man, I'm preaching. This should be a Sunday. Stop waiting for the promises of God to fit in with your life and start fitting your life in with the promises of God. Oh, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. Why don't you just take out a magazine and then read some star alignment and figure that out? Because that's more waiting, better than waiting for God to arrive. Because he's already arrived. Well, when Taurus lines up with Leo, then I'm going to be a good person. That's like saying, well, I'm waiting for the promise of God and my circumstance to align with my spiritual gift assessment. And that's going to link into my, into my disc assessment I did at Next Steps. And when all of that aligns, I'm going to be on fire for Jesus. Now, right now, we move over to the tree of knowledge of life, not the knowledge of good and evil. The very fact that there's evil in that worries me. We live looking for any reason, any opportunity, any sandwich to deliver. Now you're thinking, where did he get the sandwich thing from? (laughs) Mm. We look for any reason any opportunity, anything that we can do to show God that we intrinsically know and experience His promises daily. Any moment, any person in Walmart, any moment to pray, any moment to glorify, any moment to be rejoicing, any moment to be filled with joy, any moment to prophesy, any moment to give a word of knowledge, any moment to speak out in tongues, any moment to speak out in wisdom, any moment below us, beneath us, under us, left of us, right of us, I'll even clean toilets for the glory of God if I have to. Because man, there's a promise that somebody will use that toilet in the church and be glorified. I usher people into the throne room of God, and it's clean. (laughs) Work with me here. We go to places that least align with our comfort to prove that we have an intrinsic knowledge of the promises of God. Because if we go towards our comfort, we are going towards the tree of reason. Oh, I don't do this because my spiritual gift set says that. Person's dying in front of you. I don't raise people from the dead. That's not for me. Person needs encouragement. Well, I'm more of a comforter. Person needs serving. Well, you know, I'm more of a preacher. God has promised you everything you need to go and do everything he needs you to do to start operating like you've got everything. And so there's this guy in Scripture. I just want to quickly the balance of knowledge and experience. Too much knowledge, John 17, 3, knowing and experiencing. Too much knowledge, religion. Too much experience, well, I can do anything, God loves me, it's okay, everything's schwa, go to Colorado. Okay? There's gotta be a balance of knowledge, knowing and experiencing for the promise of God to become reality in your life. You've got to have a balance. Don't think you're going to study the promises of God into being. And don't think you're going to sure experience them into being by coming to the front and falling down every time you come to church. You've got to get a balance of the experience and the knowledge for there to be the knowing, the deep-seated knowing and experience of the, of the Father in your life. And so there was this guy called David. And he was told by his father that he needs to go and deliver some sandwiches to his brothers. Take this food, take this sandwich, take this bread, take this, take this, take that. 
What we don't often realize is that that was just before he defeated Goliath. The defeating of Goliath wasn't the promise. That was just an aside. Because the chapter before he defeated Goliath, he was anointed and appointed, promised as king. He arrived as the king sandwich bearer. He was looking for any opportunity to see the promise of king come to be. He didn't know at the end of sandwich bearing that there would be a slaying giant, songs written about him, and Jerusalem was being built on the back of his kingship. He didn't realize that when he was told by his father, listen, go down and speak to your brothers, give them some sandwiches, that when he arrived at the gate, he would be stopped with all the supplies and told you can't take them to your brothers. You have to take them to the person who looks after all the supplies. He could have looked at that person and said, no, no, I'm the king, incumbent, and I'm taking this to my brothers. No, no. As the king, he was immediately obedient and activated somebody else's service through his own obedience. When you walk out the promise in obedience, others are activated to walk out promises in obedience. Am I making sense? More honor you cannot give than the evidenced obedience in your life to the promises of God to somebody else who's floundering at the foot of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so David takes these sandwiches and he gives them over to the keeper of supplies and then the next thing kicks in. Now he's finished being the king sandwich deliverer. He now is going to become the king message bearer because he was told to take a message to his brothers. He gets there and as the incumbent king, he gets ridiculed. And David acts like a typical teenager. He says, I was just asking a question. (laughs) And that's in every translation, Latin, Italian. (laughs) And David goes before them, and all of a sudden he starts getting pushback because they're operating at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They're operating at the tree of human understanding. It's twice our size, you know. They're going to defeat us, you know. They start operating in the natural. And because he's walking in with a kingly promise in the supernatural, there's a conflict. And the supernatural starts conflicting with the natural. Not because he was some crazy teenager that thought he was the king. No, because he bore a kingly promise. And he was going to walk that out as a sandwich bearer. He was going to walk it out as a messenger. He was going to walk it out as a sling bearer. He was going to walk that out no matter what the cost. And why? Not to defeat Goliath. His own words. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven of armies. The name of the Lord of heaven of armies. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will cut off your head. But he came to Goliath first, not with the threat, but with the promise. He didn't come to him with some empty Christianese and color-coordinated Bible markers. He came with a knowing. He could have picked up a thorn bush and thrown it at Goliath, and he would have fallen. He could have spat in his direction, and God would have turned his spittle into a missile. That's how convinced he was. He came to Goliath with a promise that it was the God of all armies, and your army is nothing 
when you don't submit to the tree of life and promises like I do. So go ahead. Camp at the tree of reason. Working it out. What's my next step? How much do I have? What have I got to do? How have I got to do it? Well, I've got so much time. How much am I going to give to the church? How much am I going to hold back for Netflix? How much am I going to... There's only one biblical thing you need to budget, and that's your money. The rest, just give it to God. All of it. Every penny of your talent, every penny of your time, every penny of your money if you have to. But I'd rather do that than camp out at the tree of reason that God himself said, you will positively die. I want to camp out at the tree of knowledge of life. And so David never ever lived life forgetting about the sandwiches. How can I walk out my promised God's life, my life promised by God, how can I walk it out right now? Right now I'm delivering sandwiches. Just now I'm delivering a message. Later I'm speaking against this natural with the supernatural. Then I'm going in before a king. Then I'm telling the king where to get off with his armor. Then I'm doing this. Then I'm doing that. Then I'm running out. Oh my word, I'm running out of Goliath. Okay. I want to live on the edge of my seat. I don't want to live behind a desk contemplating what God could or could not do if I act and respond in just the right way. I want to live unbridled. I want to live in revival. I want to live and be walking miracles. I want to go to the the table of the Most High God, and every single time I come before Jesus, I'm receiving a promise, not a, oh, Jesus died for me. When you come to the table tonight, come going, Father, what's my promise? I'm good to go. I'm not hanging around. If you don't give me one, I'm going to go and find one, and I'm going to live it out. I don't need a prophetic word, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. I've got your word, and that's good enough for me. Oh, but you know, when so-and-so lays his hands on me, I get a tingle up and down my spine. That's because he turned up the air conditioning, and it's not real. God is the one that's going to give you everything you need if you walk out his promises. Your next move is to get moving. Your next move is to understand that the consequences of life, did you see what I just did? Move, consequences, did you see that? That was pretty impressive. Online, you better have noticed that. The consequences of the promises of God are more promises. The promises of walking out the smaller promises are bigger promises. There's a scripture about that in there somewhere, isn't there? And so God is saying to you, make your next move, just move. I've done my part. God's made his move. Every word in the Bible has been expressed as a promise of God. Today is your day to move, to harness the balance between knowing and starting to experience. Oh, I know I cuss too much. So can we start experiencing some less cussing? Oh, I know I don't give enough. So can we start experiencing the promise of joyful giving? Oh, I know that I shouldn't be, mar- shouldn't be conducting myself in this relationship like I'm, like I'm unmarried. Well, can we start experiencing some holy matrimony, please? Because otherwise the no ends up at the tree, whereas the experience never gets to the life. You can't camp out in knowing and not experiencing the promises of God. And it's not about God creating the experience. It's about you changing your way so you can start seeing the experienced promise of God in your life. I know I shouldn't cuss. I know my lifestyle's wrong. I know I'm in confusion as regards my gender. Well, go to the tree of life and work it out with Jesus. 
Stop reasoning yourself. Oh, I know. I don't know. I think I was born like it. Well, go and ask God if he made you like that. Don't ask the pastor. Don't ask some crazy judgmental Christian. Go and ask God. Some crazy judgmental Christian is going to give you a whole bunch of tree of knowledge of good and evil. Go and ask God and he'll give you life. I know, I used to be a judgmental Christian, and I now know that Boswell is the best campus. <laughs> Real campus online, you're the best digital campus. Even though sometimes Pastor Jacob doesn't agree with Facebook. Did I just say that? <laughs> and so today, walk out of here with your sandwiches. Don't forget your sandwiches. It's in the small things that you start seeing the promise of God. And as we ask Brother Norman to make his way up, we're going to go before the Lord's table now. And we're not going to go just, oh, well, perfunctory. This is what we do. You're not going to come to the table from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You're going to come to the table from the tree of life. You're going to come knowing that there's a promise and that you can intimately know that promise that you can intimately get to know that promise and see that promise and feel that promise and walk in that promise. That is what the body and blood of Jesus Christ means for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the big red ball of promises, that everything you are is about hope. Everything you are is about a promise and a future, that it's never too late for me to have a future no matter my age, no matter my situation, no matter my consequence of my behavior of my past, I have a promise that you have given me and I can walk out that promise. There is no circumstance of this world that will rob me and make you run out of promises for me. Father, thank you that I can be obedient to your promises. Thank you that you've promised my healing. And even though tonight I don't quite feel healed, I know I am. Father, thank you that you've promised me abundance. And even though zeros abound in my bank balance, you have promised me an abundant life that goes far beyond money. Father, thank you that even though my ACT scores tell me I'm stupid, I'm divinely wise, and I have a whole lot more in my head than most people have in their whole life because you have planted Jesus in my heart. Father, thank you that my reasoning will never see me knowing your promises. That it is only by my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, his promise made secure by him slipping from the throne and into the womb of Mary. And then from the womb to the mountain. And from the mountain to the grave. And from the grave to the heavens every nuance of his life a promise for me every breath he breathed every word he spoke every gesture he made every story he told a promise for me